Wheeland Presley Funeral Home and Crematory have been serving Quad City families and veterans since 1889. Wheeland Presley Funeral Homes are located in Rock Island, Milan, and Reynolds, and are proud supporters of WQPT. Alternatives is a proud supporter of WQPT and has been serving our community for 40 years. Alternatives provides professional guidance to maintain independence and quality of life for older adults and adults with disabilities. The Iowa caucuses are pushed aside by the Democrats and a battlefield silenced for 24 hours, at least on a theater stage in the cities. The Iowa Republican and Democratic parties have feasted on an incredible amount of attention and cash since Georgia Governor Jimmy Carter's campaign received a huge boost from the 1976 Iowa caucuses. Now it appears the party is over, at least for one party. The Democratic National Committee's Rules and Bylaws Committee has agreed with President Joe Biden to take the Iowa caucuses from first in the nation to not even an honorable mention. It's not official yet, but it is all but certain for 2024. We talked with the head of Scott County Democrats, Matt Trimble, about the sea change for Iowa Democrats. So was the decision at all a surprise, or was it more of a surprise in the making? Surprise in the making, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Uh, is, is it a slap in the face? Did Joe Biden turn his back on Iowa? Uh, I, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that. Um, you know, Scott Brennan, the, our delegate for the IDP, right. has fought very hard. Ross Wilburn has fought very hard. Um, to make some revisions to how we do the caucus. So well, I don't want to get inclusive. too deep into the weeds, but Scott Brennan was on the bylaws committee. He was in Washington, D.C. We got a chance to talk to him, and he said it was like a kick in the teeth. It was unexpected. The letter came at the last <laughs> second. He attended the meeting. There was no agenda. It was almost like a sneak attack from the White House. That Well, that that's, uh, I guess, sitting in Davenport in Scott County, like, this is, um, I, you know, and I can't speak for the party right. at the national level, but um, it, it's been tough here with the caucuses. Uh, just, um, but, but I think it's the end of the road maybe for the whole conversation around you know, um, you know, where we go from here. Biden, sure. I think doing that um, kind of unannounced for Brennan, Biden's announced his candidacy for 2024 um, to lock in a couple key states that'll support him right away. Um, well, for an incumbent president, good. you should be locking them in anyhow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but there's strong, uh, well, good performing Democratic strongholds, so it'll boost him. Um, but I think Democrats in general were part of something much larger than just the fight over our caucus first in the nation. It's like we got to move our party forward, got to move you know, the United States forward. Uh, when the party leader gives a, a directive, you know, we'll have to follow in line at some point. Um, hopefully, uh, you know, it, we can all get behind that and move forward uh, because we've got a lot of issues we, we need to fight for. I do want to get, get into that, but I want to stick with the process right now as far as the selection of the five states that are going to lead off the nominating process in 2024. And the fact that it did come down to a letter from the president the day before a decision was made, I mean, that 
just seems to be an odd process. I mean, do the Democrats have their act together? I would say they do. They do. Um, when, especially in Illinois, you know, Pritzker's been able to uh, you know, keep things moving, improve things for, for working families in Illinois. Um, I think Democrats aren't as disciplined in how we fall in line with each other in, in, under, you know, uh, you look at national Republicans refusing to denounce someone who wants to destroy the Constitution. Um, that's the contrast. We're fighting over, you know, who's first, you know, what, what our process is. Uh, we're all, you know, aligned behind key issues, bodily autonomy for women, uh, workers' rights, you know, be able to, to you know, take care of your families, get a public education that's high quality. So I think, um, I know the the, the minutiae of, of who's first, um, but the bigger issues are, are, are you know, those won't change. So it's, it's how, do we, how do we lead off the fight you know, during the next cycle? How bad of the 2020 caucus problems that occurred, the transparency, the reporting of uh, results late that gave presidential candidates really no momentum going to New Hampshire, of the problems of 2020, how big of those do you think was the impact on the decision of the Iowa caucuses for 2024? In other words, was two years ago the death knell for the caucuses? The, uh, it, having been you know, a, a person who working on the ground with the organization of it all, at least in Scott County, um, we, we were set up to fail in a lot of ways um, because the DNC uh, forced a, a mobile app that was supposed to be a reporting tool. Um, you didn't didn't perform the way it was we told it would work, um, and then um, the, uh, the the reporting numbers that were like emergency you call this number if the app doesn't work, that was publicly available, which is something you would never do uh, if you're running an, an organization. So I mean, there was some missteps, um, and it wasn't just the you know, that Troy Price didn't do his job. It was a bunch of things in, along the, along the way. And I think uh, we didn't get here overnight with the caucus decision or the changes from the DNC. Just there's always been a back and forth about, you know, is it inclusive? Um, you know, people who work second shift have families, can't get away. Um, so it's, it's, there's, for since 72, when the caucuses were established the way they are now. Exactly. Um, it, I mean, Iowa's had always, caucuses. always had that argument. You know, Iowa has caucuses for yeah. almost 100 years. You know, they just weren't the political it's presidential formal. building right. process that it is today. So that's a very right. good point. So the real question is, will the caucuses continue as the quaint political meeting ground that they are every, I believe, every two years, if you think about it? Caucuses aren't every four years, every two. The, the, for the midterm and the presidential, there's you know, a much bigger... Uh, you know, work that's expected out of it, but but it's always a party building thing. So it's you know neighborhood you know, precincts. Um, you know the early ones were a dozen people in a room. Mm -hmm. uh, you know the the most recent one, you know the 2020 cycle, it was you know, hundreds of people. You know and packed in the gym at JB Young High School or JB Young School in Davenport. So it's um, it's it's changed dramatically since its inception. Uh, sure, I mean, it was huge. So. It was Waterfront Convention Center in Bettendorf. And yeah. I remember when I was covering it in the late 90s, I went to a person's living room in Fruitland Township. But because yeah. of ADA rules and because of a lot of different things involving handicapped accessibility, you, you made more public places, which totally mm -hmm. made sense. 
the head of the Democratic Party in Johnson County was trying to spin perhaps a real positive outlook is that it was getting to be too unwieldy, too too big for the party as a as a as a political apparatus. Is that the way you're seeing it as you're going into 2024? Is that it'll be more manageable? You'll be able to deal more with issues and not necessarily have the national focus of the presidential campaigns. It, it'll revert to that. It'll become more of a, a neighborhood uh, organizing tool, which which will help us, I think, force force the Democratic Party locally to uh, establish more uh, networks through neighborhoods that we've kind of taken for granted. Uh, and it really shows in the last couple of election cycles where, you know, our turnout isn't isn't at the scale that the Republicans is. So it's um, it. You know, It'll, it'll force us to work a little harder, but it might also wake people up like, oh yeah, um, I need to get engaged because you know, we're, we've got issues we have to fight for and you know, if we don't have the, the presidential candidates here, um, you know, then we need to look at the issues more, more closely and really focus in on them. Um, it, it'll be disappointing, you know, obviously you know, your uh, news cycle will be uh, uh, not as exciting because you know, you, we might get a, a stop for Rock Island County and Scott County. Um, near near the primary for uh, Illinois, um, so it's uh, you know, it'll it'll be uh, a, a different place, but um, you know, we're we're still fighting for issues that that matter to people. 2022 was not a good year for Repo uh, Democrats in Iowa either. Um, a, a shellacking at the state level. A lot of county offices, even in Scott County, lost yeah. to Republicans. Phyllis Thede losing in the in the state senate. Uh, how tough was this last election? So the um, part of what's what's uh, developed cycle over cycle is the uh, fruition of Citizens United. So we had the Iowa, Iowa Republican Party um, with a bottomless pot of gold where they could just assault every single Democratic candidate at every level, um, just no limits on what they would spend or what could they could spend. Um, so you had someone like Phyllis Thede who's fought for you know, Eastern Scott County for you know, many years, um, you know, getting, getting outspent, uh, Mary Figaro outspent, um, you know, our, our local party, you know, we're, we're outspent, you know, um, and have, really have no way to um, combat that other than just you know, sticking to the issues, making sure we're on doors. Uh, so it's it, you know, the Citizens United um, unleashing of, of sure, fundraising, uncontrolled money. But doesn't that underline uh, the fact that the Democratic Party is not as strong as it once was in Iowa? Is, is Iowa becoming more of a red state? Um, I, I, I would take issue with that, that premise because we've had a loss of population in Iowa. You know, the, the demographics have changed. You know, we're a much older population. Um, you know, the urban centers, you know, people are working two, you know, two jobs, busy families, so it's less in, uh, ability to be engaged. So I think it's, um, you know, many factors at play, uh, but I, the, um, the, the strength of the Republican Party in organizing and, uh, and, and the money they've got access to is uh, really, what is what the shift is? I mean, people have left the state, and I, I because of the GOP control, I, that that is a real concern that we'll have a brain drain in Iowa because you know, Republican policies aren't a draw for young families, um, you know, unless they you know, they're already they already have ties here. Like I'm not going anywhere. I've been a sure. a, a local for for my my whole life. So it's people who will stay and fight. Um, but we're fewer and fewer. I think as as time, you know. 
passes, you know, people are going to move to larger cities. Isn't it a bit of an issue that, that the, the, the Democrats have something that they're selling, but the public isn't buying in Iowa? I mean, the, the Republicans are, are, are selling uh, a balanced budget or, or a good budgeting. They're, they're selling the fact that they stayed open during COVID. You've heard this all. They, they're, they're talking well, about family values. They're talking about you know gun rights and, and, uh, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and as you said, limited and it's, uh, reproductive. It's, it's definitely talk because the minute that they get in session, um, it's going to be we're going to we're going to take uh, public funding away from public schools. Continue the slide against uh, the assault on teachers. You know, with with curriculum, uh, it'll be moral, uh, divisive um, language that they'll use. They'll they'll flip from you know helping you uh, caring about families to assaulting families with suppressed wages. Um, just you know getting rid of uh, the. Uh, uh, workers' compensation and unemployment insurance, just gutting any sort of social safety net program that average people need. I mean, it, it doesn't, those aren't partisan issues. It's you protect the people in your state. Um, the minute the legislature gets in power, we'll see just a, a massive assault on Iowa families. Um, so it's, they're, but are the voters buying that? Because, I mean, as you're saying that, you would sit there and go, well, then naturally all the voters would vote. Well, when you, when you put a really inflammatory amendment on, on the Iowa, uh, on the ballot this year with a... Um, an, uh, you're you talking know, about the gun amendment? The gun uh, amendment, where it's, it supersedes any, anything nationally, um, that, that, that's a draw for people who will look at it, may not understand exactly the implications of it, but sure, I mean, you know, it's it's America. You should have access to a, a firearm to protect your family or for hunting. Um, but but that um, actions like that is is what the Republican Party is good at. They're excellent at it. Um, Democrats not so much because we want to talk about things that matter to families. But that obviously hasn't turned into votes. Um, well, and as, as you yeah. know, I mean, when you take a look at voter registration across the state of Iowa, actually in almost each of the, well, three of the four congressional districts, it's very 3-3-3. Three, three, three. It's, it's, it's a third independent, a third Republican, mm -hmm. a third Democrat. Very close. Yeah. So Democrats didn't win over the hearts and minds of independents this, this term. No, not, not as, as much as we had hoped. Um, it, so it's, you know, there's, there's work to do with that. Um, you know, and that starts, you know, now with with planning, reaching out to, to people who voted and and would necessarily uh, wouldn't necessarily have voted for a Republican um, under other circumstances. So it's um, there. There are people we'll never reach, and and we understand that. Uh, but I think uh, growing our the Democratic base and then educating them on why it's important to vote in a midterm when so much is happening, so much is on the ballot. Uh, it, that's uh, you know, just building more relationships, uh, making sure that, that we're staying in, you know, on TV stations talking about the issues, making sure people know that Democrats are fighting for them. Um, you know, it, we didn't get to this point um, in one election cycle. It's been a, a tough go for several years in, in Iowa, especially, um, and and there's you know, a lot of learning that we'll we'll need to be uh, doing over you know, reviewing what what's gone on. Uh, You've already cycle, reviewed, I know, the 2022 vote. You, you may not have gotten yeah. all the information, We're but still you've gotten on some of it. Absolutely. Yeah. On first blush, did Democrats not show up? Or was it just that that independents didn't swing towards Democrats? Uh, it's a mix of both. Uh, parts of our county, uh, very strategically, you know, the Republican Party is able to suppress the vote, um, un running an uncontested race in multiple House and Senate seats. 
Um, so that's the Democrats' fault, though, um, for not having a candidate well, up against them. No, the Republicans didn't field anyone against. Cindy oh, I see what you're Cindy saying. Oh, I'm sorry. Absolutely. Um, so, so that that has an effect sure. of suppressing key districts. So, um, but yeah, we we don't show up as much um, historically as as Republicans, um, and that that's something we have to work on. Um, so it's and that hasn't happened overnight. Uh, so, uh, b building. Building networks in neighborhoods is a, is a key thing uh, that, that we're, we're focusing on. Matt Trimble, chair of the Scott County Democrats. The full Democratic National Committee is to vote on the recommendation change to the party's calendar for selecting a presidential nominee this spring. Well, tis the season for great holiday events throughout the cities, and Laura Adams joins us out and about. This is Out and About for December 9th through 15th. Western Illinois University Quad Cities present a Woodwind Faculty Concert December 9th at 4, while Bishop Hill is the location for their annual Lucia Nights on the 9th and 10th. Geneseo's Christmas Walk, a Victorian walk throwback, takes place the 10th beginning with the Jingle Run 5K. The Mississippi Fairgrounds is the location for Junkin' Market Days, filled with repurposed, rustic, shabby chic, farmhouse, vintage, and one-of-a-kind finds on the 9th and 10th. The Putnam Museum hold their Polar Express Pajama Party the 15th through the 18th, and it's time to ball up for a leatherneck doubleheader. Western Illinois University Basketball at the Vibrant Arena on the 16th, beginning at 5.30. Ballet Quad Cities present the holiday classic, The Ballet, The Nutcracker, at the Adler Theater on the 10th and 11th. Riverbend Bronze with the Quad City Wind Ensemble perform at Galvin Fine Arts the 11th at 3, while the Spotlight Theater presents A Christmas Story, the musical, the 9th through the 11th. Playcrafters Barn Theater hosts the musical Black Nativity the 9th through the 11th. And All is Calm, the Christmas Truce of 1914, is a musical presented by the Black Box Theater in downtown Moline December 8th through the 17th. Or enjoy a wacky new adaptation of A Christmas Carol at Mockingbird on Main through the 17th. Plus, Circa 21 presents Santa Claus the Musical. For more information, visit wqpt.org. Thank you, Laura. The Western Illinois University School of Music Woodwind Faculty is filled with the holiday spirit, and a group of five professors has been taking to the stage this season for a woodwind collage of music from composers as varied as David DeBoer Canfield, Amy Beach, and Samuel Arnold. Here's the woodwind collage with For Noel, Angels We Have Heard on High.
The Western Illinois University School of Music would win faculty with For Noel. Well, let's be honest, music has always had a very important place in the Christmas holidays, and perhaps never more so than during the First World War. It was the Christmas of 1914 when soldiers on both sides of the Western Front laid down their arms for an incredible 24-hour truce, punctuated before and after by a bloody battle. It's become a powerful musical, which is being staged at Moline's Black Box Theater and will be seen here on WQPT Thursday night, December 22nd. We talked with Ron May, who is the music director of the Quad City production of All Is Calm. So what is the story behind All Is Calm? In the winter of 1914, uh, on the battlefield, there were the English forces on one side and the German forces on the other and no man's land in the middle. And on Christmas Eve, up to, the point, up to that point, they were taunting each other across no man's land with phrases and you can imagine. Sure, absolutely. And uh, they decided it's Christmas Eve. They put down their arms. They met in the middle of the field in no man's land sang Christmas carols, and had a truce for a brief moment. It was, it was magical. Well, it was also surreal. Uh, 12 hours earlier, they were killing each other. 12 hours later, they were back at it again. Same thing. Um, and, and we were talking earlier is that, you know, you think that this is a playwright's imagination. Everything in this is true. Absolutely true. It documents and quotes 39 real people that, that experienced this event from their journal entries, from their diaries. Uh, they're all quoted and credited. Uh, and then it's just recreated with music of the time, some war songs, and of course, many Christmas carols that they sang. Yeah, it is an incredibly powerful uh, message, actually, that comes across is that, you know, at, during war, it's impersonal. During peace, it can be personal. Oh, that's interesting to say it that way. Yeah, it's very intimate uh, to feel this close to the characters as they explain why they're doing things, as they explain to themselves how moving it was to them. It's quite, it's quite interesting. Well, my understanding is, is, as far as the historical pretext goes, is that a German soldier stood up with a clear voice and sang Silent Night, mm -hmm. and then other soldiers on both sides uh, joined in. I mean, you think of the Christmas traditions that are so Germanic, but mm -hmm. also the Christmas traditions that are so English as well, and how powerful this particular season is to both sides, both the combatants. There are times in the music that uh, it's when, let's take for example Silent Night. Sure. It starts with a German soldier singing Stille Nacht and then the English join in, and then maybe some French <laughs> comes in, and they're all layered on top of each other to create this uh, mystical, is the only word that comes to yeah. mind, uh, quality about it. It's haunting, it's mystical, it's surreal, that here are these warring people singing these beautiful Christmas carols. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. And then to think that they go back to battle afterwards. But we don't want to think about that during this one particular No, 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 no. Why is this kind of, you know, it kind of hits home for a lot of us during the uh, Christmas season. Why do you think this message is so powerful right now? Well, right now our society is really torn apart, isn't it? We have the right and the left. We have 
not just politically, but philosophy of lifestyle. Every, everybody is extreme, it seems. We're far apart from one another. And here's an example of that very thing coming together. Here's the Brits and the Germans fighting a war, killing each other, but for a moment they stop. And they come together, and they share something really, truly in common, the joy of Christmas. That's what makes it special. Why can't we do that all the time? I was going to say, in some ways, <laughs> it also has a huge message for humanity. Exactly right. That's why I think the way we're approaching it, that do you see here, if this can happen, why can't we carry this outside the doors of the theater and make this happen in our own lives? Why can't we bring ourselves together? Tell me about the poignant moments in this play, this musical or, or musical presentation that you enjoy the most. Is it the music or is it some of the touching moments of the mm -hmm. characters? Is it the message and, and the fact that these words are written by actual soldiers who had actually been there? That's a deep question. Or is it all <laughs> I do think it's a combination of everything coming together at the same time. The fact that it's truthful, the fact that these are their words exactly, or as exactly as we know it from their diaries, and then the combination of the songs. For example, Silent Night is the peak of, this, of the storytelling for me. When it reaches that moment where the truce is at its peak and the calm is really there, the, the, the title All is Calm comes from Silent Night, and at the end of the arrangement, it's a nine, nine voices, mm -hmm. nine parts. It's very complicated musically, but the simplicity as it ends, it narrows it down and narrows it down and narrows it down to just one thought. All is calm. That's moving. The other parts that are moving um, for me are O Tannenbaum, mm -hmm. O Christmas Tree, O Christmas Tree. They go into that and it evolves and it changes musically and they ad adapt the English adapt the German. They go, oh yeah, a Christmas tree. The way the things are merged together, the thoughts that come together, mean a lot to me as I listen to the story and listen to the music. Tell me about this cast and, and these singers. And as you said, the a cappella voices, how they blend together. I mean, that's mm -hmm. not by accident. That's good casting. And that is a, a, a good musician's good singers. Well, what's attractive to the fellows in the cast is that it's, it's all men a cappella singing, mm -hmm. which is, has a, a terrific sonority to it. Think of, think of college glee clubs in the old days when it was <laughs> all the men up there singing. There's something about it that just is stirring. And so it's attractive to performers who would like that to, to recreate that kind of sound. We have nine gentlemen from the community, uh, some professionals and some amateurs, some young people, some, we'll say, middle-aged plus. In the, in the cast. Much like the military itself. Exactly. It's a true representation. And the thing about the Black Box Theater, you know, these smaller venues, the stage is right there. Uh, the audience can't help but be drawn into it. Mm -hmm. Do you like that intimacy? For this particular show, yes. Yeah. yeah. Because the, uh, the cast members represent 39 characters who have written in their diaries their intimate thoughts, just imagine what you would write in your own diary if you were on the battlefield. You wouldn't hold anything back, would you? You'd be bluntly honest, you'd be very sincere, quite sentimental, I would imagine. And so all of these things are woven into the script. It's very intimate. So to be in that kind of a setting adds to the magic of the show.
Ron May, the musical director of the Black Box Theater's production of All Is Calm. And once again, you can watch All Is Calm on Thursday, December 22nd, right here on WQPT. On the air, on the radio, on the web, on your mobile device, and streaming on your computer, thanks for taking some time to join us as we talk about the issues on the cities. Wheeland Presley Funeral Home and Crematory have been serving Quad City families and veterans since 1889. Wheeland Presley Funeral Homes are located in Rock Island, Milan, and Reynolds, and are proud supporters of WQPT. Alternatives is a proud supporter of WQPT and has been serving our community for 40 years. Alternatives provides professional guidance to maintain independence and quality of life for older adults and adults with disabilities.